We'll be reading out of Luke 1 this morning. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son, and is and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right, why don't you find, make your way to your Bible and uh, make sure you're in that passage uh, that Pat uh, read for us this morning, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. We're going to be talking a little bit about this passage this morning. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different aspects of the advent of Christ, the birth of Christ to save sinners. And this morning, uh, we want to look a little bit at some of the angels that uh, show up and understand why this is so important. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've read the Old Testament. It's long, uh, but it's really good. I don't know. If, have you read it? It's really, it's great. You ought to read it. If you haven't read it, you ought to commit yourself to reading the Old Testament. It's your, but there are some boring parts where there are long lists of names. Um, yeah, but they're not that long. And I know they're hard to pronounce, but that's okay. Um, but you know, if you look in Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, you might think, well, every other page there's an angel turning up, right? Not really. It's a, it's a fairly infrequent occurrence. And what is astonishing is that here in a small period of time, so many angels show up. And you might wonder, well, why in the world are so many angels showing up? Of course, you know how the story ends. I don't want to give it away, but Jesus is born. If you don't know how the story goes, that's what happens. Um, what we might equate this with is a grand entrance. If you go to a, a show or a premiere or you go to some place where uh, there's going to be an honored guest, uh, that honored guest might at a certain point, made a, make a grand entrance. Maybe it's a, a dinner reception or a banquet, and there's somebody that's being honored, and that person isn't going to show up early after everybody's seated and is sort of making dinner and small talk, and all of a sudden the person will show up with great uh, announcement. There might be music. There might be somebody who stands up uh, and announces it. Uh, maybe you've experienced this at a wedding reception. Everybody goes and gets their food, and all of a sudden, the bride and groom are here, and yay. I don't know if you, that's what you did, but that's what you're supposed to do. 
And now usually what happens is you have these grand entrances in order to draw attention to the one who is entering. So if you're going to have a grand entrance, like we said at a wedding reception, the point is to draw attention to the bride and the groom as they have arrived. The, the guest of honor is arrived. But what's interesting about Jesus' arrival is his arrival is designed to actually draw attention to those who are being visited. Notice that each time the angels show up, Jesus, it's not Jesus' grand entrance. It's him drawing attention to those that he is announcing his arrival to. So what we ought to do is understand what are the kinds of people that God has chosen to announce his arrival to, and what can we draw from that? What can we understand about what God is up to in terms of these announcements, especially as it relates to the angels? So this morning we're going to talk about God showing up. And who does he show up to? Now think about who, if you were God, who would you show up to? Who would you arrive at? Who would you visit? You might visit the faithful people, the religious people. You might go to the temple and you might visit the high priest. You might uh, go to where the religious people are hanging out doing their religious things. And it's interesting that the people that God visits weren't terribly religious. It might be described as faithful, but I don't know that you would describe them as religious. You might go to those who are revered or those who are honored. Maybe somebody who isn't religious, but somebody in a, in a community or in a village or a city that everybody sort of looks up to. If you were to visit this uh, place, who would you go to? You would go to this guy. He's, everybody goes to him for advice. Everybody reveres him and everybody honors him. He has a good reputation. If you're going to make a name for yourself, if you're going to make an announcement, he's the one you would go to. And again, none of the people that the angels visit fit this description. Or finally, you might go to someone who was important. You know, in Jerusalem, there were a lot of really important people. There was the high priest. There was the Roman governor. There were important business people. There were important political people. When God shows up, he doesn't visit any of these important and influential people. When God shows up, he visits different kinds of people. And we need to understand why he does that, because he does it on purpose. Okay, let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. I know I tricked you. You went to verse 26. Start in verse 11. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And there appeared to him, who is, the, who is him? Zechariah, standing by the Lord of an altar, an angel... And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Why was Zechariah troubled when he saw an angel? Because he saw an angel. And what did I have for breakfast? Something's getting into my head. What's going on? I mean, he was as astonished as you and I would be as if we showed up here and there was an angel here. So what happened was Zechariah and his wife had no children, but they desperately wanted children. And they had been praying for children their entire married life. And God had not provided them any children. And now, not only was barrenness their enemy, age was their enemy. And they were getting older, and they were getting older, and they were getting older. And Zechariah goes on his religious duty, and he goes in. And like I say, this guy isn't very religious. He's been praying for a child, but he has no hope that he's going to actually get one. So he may be playing the part, but he's not convincing anyone Certainly, he isn't convincing God. So Zechariah confronts this angel, and the angel says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're going to call his name John. And Zechariah, he doesn't say this, but we know he was thinking it. Hey, that's great. That would have been even greater 20 years ago. That, because I don't want to explain to you, Gabriel, how biology works. At a certain point, the ship has sailed on that situation. Now, certainly he would have been, no, he wouldn't have been even that respectful. Because we know, based on how the angel talks to him, that the angel said, your prayers are answered. God shows up. So this is the first kind of person that God is showing up for. God shows up for the despondent. God shows up for the hopeless. God shows up for those who were looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, and they stopped looking a long, long time ago. They no longer have the strength to hope, nor do they have the desire to expose themselves to the hurt that comes from hoping. So now it's just easier to give up. Zechariah is one, like many of us, he has no hope. He doesn't have a little hope. He doesn't have a glimmer of hope. He's got none. He has faith, but his faith at best is tattered. His faith is hanging on by a shred. And now at this point, he is probably doing what most of us do. He's doing his religious duty. Oh, my name got picked to go into the altar. Well, that's good. A lot of good that's going to do. Hasn't helped up to now. Why would it help now? And the angel shows up and announces good news. Your prayers have been answered. And Zechariah says this to the angel. This is verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. How will I know this is going to happen? I'm an old man, and my wife, he paused there, because he's trying to figure out, this is an angel, he's probably going to tell my wife what I say. Well, she's well advanced in years. It's like the politest way he can say she's an old woman. Now, what we have to understand about Gabriel's reaction, he's astonished. Gabriel says, listen, I stand in the presence of the Holy God. You seem to have forgotten who is talking to you. Zechariah was expressing the fact, I've got nothing. I have got nothing. I'm sorry, an angel of the Lord has showed up to me. That doesn't even help. Have you ever been there? Where everything is so off kilter, everything is so bad, even if an angel of the Lord showed up, you're like, yeah, next house over. That, that stuff's not going to fly here. Look how Zechariah responds after they have the baby and after he names him obediently John. Look at the change that comes around in Zechariah's life. It's all the way down in verses 78 and 79 of the same chapter. This is a part of Zechariah's prayer of worship that God has showed up in the dark to the hopeless, to the despondent, without being asked. This is his praise. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says, God has given hope to those who sit in the darkness. Remember I said, some of us have stopped looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what he was. He's sitting in the darkness. He's not up looking for the light. He is sitting there saying, I give up. 
And some of us would say, well, God's not going to go see that person there. God will reach out to you when you reach out to him, right? Have you heard that before? And Zechariah is saying, no way. God reached out to me when I didn't even care anymore. God has showed up for the despondent. God has shown up for the hopeless. Jesus shows up in the darkness of our sin, in the darkness of our rebellion, and he brings us light. He brings us eternal hope, even when we had lost it already. One of the things we can do at Christmas time, and I know this is hard, especially for those of us who are in that spot, and if you're not in a place where you find yourself in that spot, that's okay. It's coming. All of us go through this from time to time. What we learn at Christmas, especially from the Bible, is Jesus came in the midst of our darkness when we weren't searching for him. The fact is he has come. He will come. The question is, in faith, do we dare to keep hoping in him? Can we dare to say, okay, I will keep hoping in you, Lord. I don't even have the strength to reach out to you. I trust if you could show up for a guy like Zechariah, you can show up for a person like me. I will dare to hope. God shows up with his most, one of his most powerful angels to those who find themselves hopeless and despondent. All right, let's keep trucking along. God shows up for the despondent. Now, one thing you have to pay attention to is Zechariah was sort of an important dude. He was a Levite. He was a priest. He mattered. He may not have had any hope, but he mattered. So the question is, how does God show up for those who don't matter? Well, let's pick that up. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Pat read it for us. And here's what we have. We have the story of Christ's birth to a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph. God shows up for the unimportant now, a story is told about this Hollywood agent. You know what Hollywood agents do? What they do is they sign a contract with somebody who has actual talent, and then they find that person work, and then the agent takes the money. I think something like that. So they find them work, and they take a piece of the pie. And so obviously, if you are a talented person, you want an agent who can get you good jobs that will pay you a lot of money. And there was this one Hollywood agent who he had done pretty well years and years and years ago, and now he's fallen on hard times. He had a bad rap, and nobody was signing any of his talented singers and actors and actresses any longer. And he was, sort of his career was on the downswing. In fact, by his own testimony, he said if he hadn't won in a hand of poker in Las Vegas, he would have lost his, his mansion. I'm not saying you ought to try and make your house payment with, I'm just saying this is what happens. True story. Anyway, this guy has a birthday party, and one of the biggest Hollywood moguls there is showed up to the birthday party. Showed up, said hi, and left. Now there was a line of people coming up to this guy. I want you to be my agent. If you can get that guy to show up to your birthday party, you must be important still. And I want you to represent me. God shows up for the un unimportant. Those who don't matter, the has-beens, the washed-up. And he shows up, and now those who are in God are now important, not because of their own importance, but because God showed up. And look at Mary and Joseph. Mary is a young woman. She's not even married. And the angel shows up to Mary and says, Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. God has blessed you with being a part of his plan to save sinners. 
No one's heard of Mary up to this point in the Bible. Nobody knows what she was doing up to this point. Just all of a sudden, one day, Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, which is a problem because they're not married yet. They hadn't had sexual relations yet. She shouldn't be pregnant. Joseph did the math. She hasn't been with me. She must have been with somebody. I'm going to leave her. So Joseph intends to leave Mary because he thinks she's been unfaithful to her. And then an angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph in a dream and says, don't worry about it, Joseph. You can stay with Mary. So listen, Joseph, here's what I want you to do. You completely don't matter to this culture. You are so unimportant, I can't even explain to you how unimportant you are. Now what I want you to do is have a marriage that will be looked down on by everybody. And stay with Mary even though she's going to have a child. And Mary uh, receives the message of God with faith. Verse 34 of chapter 1, Mary said this, How will this be since I'm a virgin? This is very different than the question Zechariah asked. Zechariah, when he asked the question, said, Hey, Gabe, um, you don't know how biology works. Mary, when she talked to the angel, she's like, I don't think I understand how this works. And the angel makes clear to her the child in her will be God himself brought about by God. These are people who were unimportant. They didn't matter. They had no history before. And God's favor on them is he is saying, I am going to show up for you because your importance is not going to be found in being significant in this world, being powerful in this world, being wealthy in this world. The significance that you are going to find is going to be found in God alone. The significance you are going to be remembered for is the fact that you were in Christ. God's favor is that he showed up to them even though they didn't matter. God shows up for the unimportant. On the one hand, we might think, in order for God to show up to my life, I've got to gin up the faith to be hopeful. I've got to believe in God so that he's going to show up. And what we see in Zechariah's life, that's not the way God works. He shows up for those who don't even have the strength to gin up faith to believe sometimes. And here we discover, some of us think, okay, I want to matter for God. I've got to do something important and something powerful so I can leave a mark for the kingdom of God in this world around me. And we see in Mary and Joseph, God says, I've got an idea. I'm going to leave a mark of the kingdom of God in you, and that's all that matters. We don't have to be significant. We don't have to be important. We don't have to matter to gain the ruler of the universe, Christ himself. In fact, the kind of people God shows up for are primarily those who, in their understanding of themselves, that we don't matter. In fact, I might suggest it this way, is we can really miss God's favor if we are finding our importance somewhere else other than God himself. The, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel did not show up at the priest's the high priest's home. The angel Gabriel did not show up at the ruler's home. The angel Gabriel showed up at Mary's house and showed up in Joseph's dream, these very small people, very poor people who didn't matter. God shows up for the unimportant, especially when we find our significance in him alone. I want to compare two other people. At the end of Christ's life, before his resurrection, there's two people. One is a thief on the cross, and one is Pilate. Remember these two guys? 
thief on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. There's two thieves, one on either side, and the thieves are making fun of Jesus. One of them finally comes to his senses, I would suggest by the work of God himself, and he says to Jesus, hey, you know what? I'm wrong. You don't deserve to be here. Me, I'm supposed to be on this cross. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? So how long is this guy's Christian life? Like a couple hours. You want to talk about a deathbed confession. This is about as close as you can cut it. He's hanging on a Roman cross. He's like, I don't know. I think I still have some time. And finally he says, Christ, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, of course, turns to him and says, listen, when you can do something important for me, then okay, yeah, we'll get that worked out. He doesn't say that, by the way. What does he say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. It's going to be awesome. I'm adding that part. Why was it so easy for this thief to find his significance in Christ? He was out. He had nothing else to hold on to. It was, everything else he might have clung to for his significance and his importance, that, that had long since faded away. Now look at Pilate. He's standing in front of Christ. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? What does Jesus say? You said it. Pilate cannot get his head around the idea that this guy, half beaten to death, wearing a crown of thorns on his head, could possibly be important. Why couldn't he see it? Because he's standing in his own palace and he's surrounded by centurions and guards and important political fig figures who hang on his every word. He says stuff, and stuff happens. Pilate, in his mind, is saying, I matter. I can say to you, you're dead, Jesus. And what will happen? What does Jesus reply? Oh, you've got authority, but it was given to you. Pilate couldn't see past his own importance in order to put his importance in Christ. Whereas the thief, who had lost all of his significance could see his importance nowhere else other than Christ himself. In a very real sense, the thief had the advantage over Pilate because he had lost everything, and now he could find his significance in Christ alone. God shows up for the unimportant. Maybe you could answer this question to help look at our own hearts. My life matters because... My life matters because I have this job. My life matters because I have this kind of family. My life matters because my children are like this. My life matters because my marriage is like this. My life matters because this person won an election. This person lost an election. My life matters because my retirement account looks like this. The danger we have of having all these great and glorious blessings in our life, which is what all of those things are, aren't they? Is the danger is we can miss Christ thinking our importance is found in these other things. The reason we matter is because Christ has come to us. The reason we are important is because Christ has died for us. The reason we have significance is only when we have lost significance in everything else and say, I matter because Christ said I matter in him alone. And you might say, well, that's kind of hard to do. 
Of course it's hard to do. No, let me rephrase that. It's impossible. The work of the Spirit is that which shows us what really matters. But we have to understand, why isn't God showing up in my life? And maybe I'm a little too self-important. God shows up for the unimportant. God shows up for the insignificant. All right, one more group of people. God shows up, first of all, Zechariah, for the what? The despondent, the hopeless. Secondly, God shows up for who? The unimportant. What about those who have been cast aside? What we might call the marginalized. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Probably just on the next page for you. God shows up for the marginalized. In that same region, this is near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, and they were keeping their watch over their flock by night, which is a good thing. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Why were they filled with great fear? These were not good people. These were the Ebenezer Scrooges, and now the angel of Christmas future has showed up, and their day is up. They know what's going on. God has showed up. We're toast. The angel of the Lord said to them, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, why does that carry such great truth to it when he's talking to shepherds? Because if the good news is good for shepherds, it's good for everyone. Because these guys were not respected people. These guys had terrible reputations in town. Most of the time they were viewed as religiously unclean because of the nature of their work. Also, they generally were thought to have been thieves and generally ne'er-do-wells. I just was looking for a chance to say ne'er-do-well this morning. But that's what they were. What do you want to be when you grow up? A shepherd. Oh, really? Is mobster not available? They, weren't, they were looked down on. They were a low man on the totem pole. And here the angel of the Lord is showing up to them and saying, I've got great news for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Go find him and you're going to find a baby lying in a manger. Would shepherds know what a manger is? Yes, they've got the set. They raise sheep. They feed sheep. They know what a manger is. And then he's saying, to you, listen, your king is going to be born to you in a way that is familiar to you. Humble and dirty. God shows up for the marginalized. Those the culture no longer has time for. Those that everybody else would reject. Now, certainly we need shepherds, but you certainly don't want to be one when you grow up. Or if you're on the outs in your culture, that may be all that's left to you. Because nobody else will take you. You've been rejected by everyone. They're not religious. They've got bad reputations. Nobody wants them around because the, when the shepherds walk by, people put their hands on their back pocket. Because they don't know what they're up to. And the angel is showing up to these guys. Look at what else what happens. Verse 13. Suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom 
he is pleased. These guys didn't get one angel. How many angels did Mary get? Can you keep a track? She got one. How many did Joseph get? Well, one, but that's in a dream, so that's half. It's a half point. Zechariah, he got one and he argued with him. What did the angels get? Basically everybody. Shepherds. The Savior has come. Guess why that's good news for you shepherds? We, along with all of planet Earth, know you need a Savior. I mean, look at your life. Look at, look at, it's a train wreck. You have a bad reputation because you're a bad person. So good news, Jesus came for bad people. God shows up for the marginalized. God shows up for the rebels. God shows up for the poorly behaved. Over in Psalm 23, we discover the Lord is my shepherd. And so here we have this story telling us the angels are showing up for the shepherds because God is our shepherd while at the same time, these shepherds need saving. Look at the end of it. After they go and they visit Mary and the baby Jesus, look down at verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Okay, let's compare that with Mr. Fancy Pants, Zechariah, who'd given up hope. What did he return doing after being visited by his angel? What did he say? Anybody remember what he said when he came out? He didn't say anything. Because the angel had made it so he couldn't talk. The shepherds come out. They go out to their sheep. And they have a church service. I mean, isn't that interesting? Look at that. Why is it the shepherds were so moved? Because they heard good news. They heard good news. This is an aside. It's not in my notes. So generally that's when I get in trouble and you're most entertained. For some reason, we tend to think people who are struggling in their Christian life need to be given good advice. What did these shepherds need? Notice not one time did these angels tell them how they weren't measuring up. Isn't that weird? I've got good news for you if you'll get your act together. I've got good news for you if you're going to finally give that up. I've got good news for you if you're going to finally toe the line on what it means to be an obedient, faithful person for God. Does it, what do they say? No, that's not what the angel says. The angel just simply gives them what? Good news. This is how much we, especially as Christians, doubt the power of the gospel. We are convinced for people to get their act together, we've got to tell them Jesus loves you. He loves you even more when you're good. That's not good news. That's horrible news. I've got good news because it comes from the Bible. Jesus loves sinners. I know you're trying your finger, and I can see it, but he likes sinners when they get their act together. Do, you, do we actually believe that the gospel is so powerful? Romans 1.16, for the power of, God, of the gospel is salvation. Do we actually believe the power of the message that Jesus loves sinners is powerful enough to rewire what we think and what we want? Do we think that? Or do we think we've got to get him to be good first? 
I might suggest, from the life of the shepherds, those who had been cast aside, that the angels knew something we sometimes forget. The good news is powerful to change people. That they left shepherds and came back worshipers. The shepherds returned in shepherding, to their shepherding in joy because of what their eyes had beheld. They had heard good news and they saw the baby Jesus and said, God save sinners like us. Glory to God because I have everything I need because God showed up. The shepherds now no longer needed to be anything other than shepherds with God because now they were what they were because of what God has done. God shows up for the marginalized. God shows up. Three kinds of people I pointed out here. There's more we could go through, but we're going to end because I know you want to get to lunch. God shows up for the despondent, those where hope has failed. I had hope a year ago. I had hope six months ago. I had hope 10 years ago. That has long gone. And I know God will never show up in my life again because I've lost my hope. And what we learn in Zechariah's life is don't give, up, don't give up on him yet. He even shows up for the despondent. God shows up for the unimportant. Those who don't matter. The insignificant. And God shows up for the marginalized. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. We're going to end with this. Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. I'm going to read it in just a couple of couple of applications to connect with this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. My Bible reading has me recently in the book of Daniel. That book's weird. It's not the weirdest book in the Bible. Ezekiel has it, hands down. But Daniel's still a little bit funky. It's weird. It's got cows eating cows, I think, and... Who shows up to Daniel? It's funny. Gabriel. This guy gets around. Long ago, like through the prophet Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom the world was created. He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is our Jesus. He has come to make himself known, not through a prophet, but through his own life and sacrifice on the cross. Where is our hope? Is it in our importance? Is it in our significance? Is it in our religion? All of these things will fail, but God will never fail because Christ is raised from the dead. Three things. Jesus brings us our hope. So might I suggest if Jesus would show up to us who have no hope, that we might share that with others? If in our hopelessness, in our darkest hour, Christ has seen fit to proclaim to us good news, should we be those who hear good news and sit on it? Or should we be those who say, I have heard hope, 
And I want to tell you of hope. Hope is found in Christ alone. Jesus saves the needy. Jesus saves the hopeless. And we should be sharing the hope of Christ with those around us who need it, which is everybody. Second thing, Jesus is the one who gives us our importance. You matter because Jesus said so. Now, I would suggest there might be one or two or ten of us in here today that if really pressed in the privacy of your own heart and mind, and we said, do you matter, you would say, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I do the best I can, try to mind my own business. But at the end of the day, what do I matter? It's a big world out there. But lots of other people are doing fine things, but... My life is just this small little thing that frankly doesn't amount to much. How could I matter in my condition? How could I matter in my situation? You matter because Jesus said so. Jesus didn't die on a pretty cross for important people and then an ugly cross for unimportant people. He died on a cross for all people and unimportant, not mattery kind of people tend to see it more clearly. You matter because Jesus does, and he died for you in particular. Finally, this. Jesus casts none aside. He receives all who would receive him by faith. I might even say it this way. Maybe we could argue over this, but I'll say it this way. He favors the cast off. He favors the marginalized because he died on a cross of rejection. He died on a cross that says, you don't matter. And so Jesus favors us. On the cross, he was us. The angels brought the shepherds good news. What is that good news? Jesus saves sinners like you. Jesus saves sinners like me. And he does so gladly, and he is so convinced that that good news will change our heart, he brings it to us full throat with the chorus of angels saying, he is here. May we have the faith to receive it.